Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick. Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick. Welcome to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. As promised, today's episode is the second part of our conversation on sex and bodies. Our discussion will be led by four ladies from within the Ethnos community who will be sharing about their relationships with God, sex, and their own bodies. If you haven't had a chance to hear part one, I highly recommend doing so before continuing. Now we're going to transition into our time of uh, discussion and, and the scriptures of Jesus. I mentioned that before. Um, I was talking about the spiritual journey that we're all on, and we, we don't have that all figured out. So we believe that we really need, uh, we, we may have some things figured out, but there are some gaps in our knowledge and our, in our understanding. So we need guides to help us in the spiritual journey. And they come in all shapes and sizes, but um, as we talked about in worship, we think that there's just something really, really special about Jesus. So we focus on his scripture, his teachings, and uh, his life. So. Uh, that's what we do, but if you have other uh, spiritual guides or other perspectives, we really want you to bring that to the table, too. That's a really unique thing that we get when we're having these discussions. So um, we're going to have a time of scripture discussion, and um, to kind of facilitate and lead that, uh, we have uh, Christina Best, who's going to be leading us in that time. We're going to have a panel of women. We're going to hear from our women leaders. Uh, Christina used to be my leader, uh, my, my leader, my uh, neighbor when I was uh, living in New Brunswick. So uh, she's really cool. That I was your block captain. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she ran the whole block. She actually was my leader. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, and she's been involved in Ethos for a long time. So she's going to be speaking and facilitating with us uh, today. All right. So give it up for Christina. I don't know if we actually know that block captains are a thing in New Brunswick. Guys, if you live here, it's awesome. Um, block captains, you can sign up to be your block's captain and help keep your block clean. FYI, shout out to the block captain program. So I really was your block captain, actually, Tim. <laughs> uh, good morning again. Um, I'm super excited for the opportunity to be here. Um, very thankful for the behind-the-scenes work. My husband, Josh, is wrangling our two little boys. Boy, mom. Uh, our youngest one is five months, and our older one is coming up on three years. So that's why I'm able to be here this morning. Um, I'm so pumped for this discussion. I broke out my clipboard from being a camp counselor when I was like 15, guys. So <laughs> buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a ride. Um, We've been talking about sex, and that's an interesting topic for a morning gathering on a Sunday morning. Um, a lot of people who grew up in the church are like, I can't believe I didn't sit this Sunday out. UConn um, started this series two weeks ago, and just to give you some backstory for the ladies who are going to be up here on the panel this morning, like maybe three months ago, UConn sent an email to a couple of us and said, hey, would you ladies be interested in participating uh, in a panel on women's bodies? I'm going to do a series on sex in January. <clears throat> and I saw that email, and I was like, hmm, I'm going to let somebody else respond to that. Um, <laughs> except for like a month and a half went by and nobody responded. <laughs> and then I was like, but I actually do care about this. <laughs> and so I responded, and we all responded, and here we are. 
Um, so if you feel uncomfortable about this topic, and if you feel like, God, I don't know if I want to sit here this morning and talk about women's bodies, that is okay, because we feel that way too. Um, so why are we doing this? We're doing it because um, we, we believe that God created our bodies. We believe that he created them to be good, and we believe that sex is a huge part of that. Um, sex is a huge part of humanity, who we are. It's intrinsic to the human condition. And it's important to have a conversation about that if we're going to understand the character of God. Um, so this morning I'm going to frame our panel. We're going to have a panel of ladies. It will not just be me up here. Um, but so two weeks ago we started talking about sex. Last week we talked about men's bodies and how um, we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? How is that unique to men? Um, this morning we're going to be talking about women's bodies. So here's my first question of the morning. If you can turn to your neighbors or someone nearby to you. Our first question is, what do you think of when you hear the phrase women's bodies? And uh, please limit yourselves to like one or two word answers. So one or two words, go. You have two minutes. Okay, um, so I'm going to be lazy. UConn usually runs to the tables to ask you. I'm going to ask you to shout out your answers because they're just one word. Um, so if you can raise your hand and then shout your answer to the front, I'm sure we'll be able to hear it. Given birth. Ms. Deborah said given birth. Thank you, Ms. Deborah. Someone else? We can go rapid fire. Police. Policed. Words? Attraction. Attraction. Beautiful inspires art. Scrutinized. Natural curves. Natural curves. Yes. Sorry? I have one. Yes. Yes. Complex. Complex. Yes. Sexualized. Sexualized. Yes. Objectified. Objectified. Uh, ovulating, hormonal ovulating hormonal period. Thank you. <laughs> Strength. Strength. Beautiful. Okay, any other last thoughts? Wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Thank you. <laughs> That's a perfect lead-in. Um, yeah, thank you. There's a lot there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I want to acknowledge we're all coming from, all the women in this room and the men in this room are coming from different understandings, different places, different stories when it comes to women's bodies. Um, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, Gosh, we have to start with, like, what did God intend? Um, what did God intend when he made women's bodies? I think there are two things to think about there or that I'm going to focus on this morning. One is um, in Genesis. Uh, this, this reference, scripture reference, is on your tables on the little half sheet. <clears throat> in Genesis uh, chapter 2, 
Verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And I think it's important to focus on the word helper. Um, the context that I grew up in, I, I always kind of thought that that was like, Eve was made to be an afterthought. Um, that helper was kind of like, God made her as the administrative assistant to Adam. She does the grunt work and he has like <laughs> the front of the show. <laughs> um, and I grew up in a context where women weren't seen leading um, in spiritual communities. So those are some of the pieces where I got that from. But I think it's really important for us to understand that the word there in the Hebrew, if we go back, um, the Aramaic word is ezer, E-Z-E-R. It's used 19 times in the Old Testament. Um, this is one of the times when it's used to describe a woman. 15 of the other references, 15 out of the 19 references only refer to God himself. Um, when he is in a position of offering strong aid to someone in need. And the other references talk about a king, an ally, or an army coming to the strong aid of someone in need. I think that's huge when we talk about women. Um, that when, God's, when God in the beginning said, I'm going to make a helper for Adam, that we can frame that in the context of, I'm going to make someone who's like me in the way that they can offer strength um, when you're in a position of need. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Um, so I think that's huge. I think that we have to understand that word. What, what did that mean when it says, I'm going to make a helper? Um, here's, here's an example of another one of those references just for you. Psalm 33, 18 to 20 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. That's the same word. Um, that's used in the Genesis verse. Um, <clears throat> the second thing that I think it's important to talk about is that women are made in the image of God. Um, and the, the verse that I'm going to refer to is the very first one on your sheet. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Um, that's a huge statement to be made in the image of God. And, and that both men and women are made in the image of God. There are a couple of things that I was thinking as I was unpacking that. And um, one is that women and their bodies reveal God's image. Uh, tselem is the Aramaic word there. It literally means a shadow, which is the outline, a representation of the original. Essentially, we all are a shadow of the divine. Um, that's what the, the text is telling us. I think that encompasses the physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional. Um, and says that there are qualities about us and how we engage in the world that represent the divine. Obviously not everything. <laughs> Which leads me to the next question, so what's happened? Um, what has happened here? Because, I don't know about you, but I've experienced a lot of moments where I've interacted with people and I'm like, that was not divine. <laughs> Um, and some in funny ways and some in really painful ways, honestly. But, um, yeah, what, what has happened in our world 
specifically when I think of women, what I was thinking was generally like we see women, as you guys all said, uh, idolized, commodified, sexualized, objectified, degraded, used, at worst enslaved, possibly at worst. Um, we see women experience physical dysfunction just like men. You can, uh, touched on that last week about just physical dysfunction in our bodies, even at the DNA level. We see brokenness. Um, and then we see women with a gross underappreciation of themselves and who they are. Um, low self-worth, only adding to negative voices uh, from the outside. So this is where we're starting from. Um, and today, I, so I'm going to invite our panel to come up. Um, there are a couple of us who are going to come up and share our stories as women with you. We have a couple questions that we're going to answer. Um, I just want to give the disclaimer that these are our experiences and our stories. We're going to try our hardest to say, uh, to use I, we language. This is my story. This is what I'm saying about my experience as a woman. Acknowledging that everyone's story is very different. Um, not only in what we experience, the families we were born into, the places that we've lived, the places we grew up. Um, and then also, I just want to give a trigger warning. Um, some of us may be sharing some things that are hard to hear, maybe about sexual violence, um, sexual abuse, misconduct, uh, assault. And I just want to make sure that you guys are aware of that and that anyone knows you have the freedom to take a break whenever you need to. We won't be offended at all. So feel free to step aside, get some fresh air, um, or just use the bathroom. Feel free to use the bathroom <laughs> as much as you need to during this time. Uh, but just wanted to give you guys that warning. So we're going to start out with a pretty, pretty easy question, I suppose. Um, we're going to share our stories, and I'm going to ask whoever wants to can start first. We don't have to go in order. Um, but if you can share your story, where did you grow up, and how did your experiences um, shape your understanding of women's bodies? Anyone who wants to start. Hey, y'all. Good morning. Um, so I have my phone, so I have my notes, that's so I don't forget anything. Um, so growing up, so I grew up in a Christian household. All the women in my family are deaconesses. They are ministers. They are first ladies. I grew up um, going to my grandparents' house, and they're like in this old country, southern Texan church, and um, my grandma's incredibly involved. Um, but I grew my parents weren't always a pastor and first lady. I grew up watching them walk into that role. Um, so interestingly enough, I learned about my body through my father, um, which is interesting when I reflected on this. I was like, mm, I don't like that. <laughs> um, and I know my father loves me unconditionally, but that did shape many of the ways I began to see myself. So he often told me what I could and could not wear. He gave me the sex talk. Um, and. Often, you know, my mother would be there and give her input, but it was my father's word that kind of ruled at the end of the day. Um, so it, what I didn't get from my father, I loved American Girl books, and so I used to read those a lot. But a lot of those girls were not my color. Um, and, you know, their bodies weren't like mine and not like the other women I saw in my family. Um, so I grew up with this... Um, 
interesting view of how I saw myself and then all the black women that I saw on TV, my father was like, they're doing too much, don't do that. So I was like, I don't really know where I fit into this picture, right? Um, however, then I go to college, I attended Spelman College, which is a historically black college. <laughs> Snaps, yes, for Spelman. Um, but it is a all black women's um, college and I see all types of women throughout the African diaspora who are there from the Caribbean, Africa, Asia, uh, Europe, uh, everywhere, right? And I began to see myself in a more full light, right? I saw that black women's bodies could be beautiful and they could look any type of way, shape, color. I mean, like I learned from like the woman down the hall who could like braid your hair for free to somebody in the building over who could like do my weave. And we all bonded on different levels and I learned to see myself as beautiful through them. Um, and it's something that, even though I'm not a Spellman, that was the first way in which I was able to experience other women, talk to other women about my body and what it meant to be a black woman in the world and a black Christian woman and see myself as beautiful. Which, you know, is still like a daily thing because you still have like guys and that also sometimes complicates things, um, especially in college. But yeah, I, that was the first time I was able to really be like, I'm beautiful and I can be beautiful and black is beautiful. This is India, by the way. <laughs> I'm Ruth. Um, so I'm the daughter of an ethnically Chinese father um, from Indonesia and um, a mother of English and Scottish descent from New Zealand. Um, so I was born in Indonesia, but spent equal thirds of my life in Indonesia and New Zealand before spending the final third here in New Jersey. Um, being biracial meant that um, I would always seem to be viewed somewhat as exotic or foreign. Um, I have been catcalled most of my life. Um, I was 13 when I was first groped by a man. And um, I did not tell anyone about that experience, mostly due to shame. Um, so reflecting on this question, I realized that I was influenced by my Asian culture. Um, girls are of less value than boys. And um, by white fundamentalist Christian culture, um, girls need to be modest, um, should not tempt men. So I learned that firstly, as a woman, I should be submissive toward men including not being rude, even if I am uncomfortable or violated by male attention. Um, secondly, if I receive attention, it is my fault. Um, I heard that men have biological drives and it is our duty as women not to cause them to stumble. Um, and lastly, an end goal of being a woman is to get married and bear children. So I was an insecure and needy teenager, wanting lots of validation. I felt most noticed, sought after, and criticized um, based on my appearance, not who I was inside, which left me wondering if anyone liked me. So my name is Jetty. Uh, <laughs> um, so for me, I grew up in a culturally Mexican household, and um, for me, this means that I grew up with the influences of machismo and maganismo. So machismo is the idea that the man is superior in the house. 
um, that the man's word is final, that the man's actions should be accepted and not questioned. Maganismo is the idea that the woman just kind of lets the man do whatever he wants and does not question, does not pose any threats. He and it, like um, and under that, um, if a man does something that's inappropriate or is wrong, it's um, responded to with, well, he's a man, and so he can do that type of stuff. Um, so that's the kind of culture that I was raised in. Um, and for me, I grew up um, surrounded by women who um, valued their body's appearance uh, very much. And so I grew up with the ideas that my body's appearance was more important than uh, my academic achievements or what I had to give in terms of my spirit and my mind. Um, I. Like uh, growing up, I would walk into conversations where um, my family, the women in my family, would be talking about like what I should look like, what I should wear, um, what I should eat, how I should dress um, in order to um, bring kind of pride to my family. Um, and I think it's important to note for context that this is how my the women in my family were raised. Um, so I don't. Uh, I don't personally blame them for kind of just passing it along because um, all three of them were um, victims of uh, abusive relationships, relationships in where um, their bodies were the most important thing in getting them treated right and getting them treated respectfully um, and making sure that they weren't uh, put into intense situations. Um, and so um, for me, at least, I've realized that I didn't really... Um, I'm only 18, <laughs> so I'm only starting to really dive into this idea of like what it does it mean to be a, a woman and what does it mean to be a woman under um, God, right? Um, and so for me, I've recently caught myself realizing that I'm exhibiting um, the things that my family has kind of put on me. There'll be moments where I'll wake up and I'll just like kind of look in the mirror as I'm like getting dressed and just pointing out like the certain imperfections that are there and kind of like wondering how we could possibly like fix those and how, how do we, you know, navigate those. And I realized that, um, at least for me, with that, um, that's where, you know, I need to start handing that over to God before it becomes a habit, a very dangerous one. So. I'm going to answer this question, too, um, just so you guys get a full picture. <laughs> so I, uh, my, I grew up in a family with pretty strong, like, patriarchal, typical gender roles. Um, my dad's Italian. My mom's English, of English descent. And they were always dissatisfied with their bodies. And I think that um, the, com the constant conversation about their bodies inherently meant that there was conversation about my body as a woman. Um, I remember my mom always would repeat this phrase that her mother told her that the pretty dresses only come in the small sizes. Um, and I would like remember eating certain things and my dad would stop me and say, you don't want to be overweight like me when you're older or, you know, the, the cliche phrase like a moment on the lips, forever on the hips and just like say things like that in passing. Um, my mom went through this legalistic phase, so my mom started being interested in Christianity when she was roughly about 30. Um, my dad grew up Roman Catholic and kissed the church goodbye when he was in high school. Um, so my mom went through this legalistic phase where she believed that women should wear dresses and skirts only. Um, so in elementary school, I was required to wear skirts or dresses uh, three out of the five days of the week. Um, modesty was definitely overemphasized to me 
And I, I also felt that it was my responsibility to make sure that men weren't looking at me appropriately, inappropriately. Um, the, mo the modesty conversation was always linked to honoring men um, and their sexual interest. Interestingly, as I reflected on this, I realized that it, it made me feel growing up as if women were asexual. Like, um, the conversation was always on men, so there was no conversation about feminine sexuality. And um, I think that's significant. I, I was molested over the course of three years as a teenager um, by a family member and didn't tell anyone until I went to college. And I was stalked when I was 16 by a man who believed that God had told him he should come to my house to have sex with me. So um, there was a lot of fear definitely surrounding my body. I felt like I was constantly at risk, um, constantly at risk of being taken advantage of and that it was my responsibility to defend myself against that. And um, I realized I think that that has impacted a lot of who I am when it comes to my identity. I like find myself very self-sufficient. Uh, I don't like taking help from other people. I like to be independent of others. And I think a lot of that comes from feeling like I'm a person that, I, I'm the only person that I can trust. I need to defend myself against other people, particularly men. That's my response. <laughs> um, so the next question is, how is your understanding of who God is been shaped by your experiences as a woman? Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, so, okay, so quick story, and then I'll get to my answer. So I, you brought up something about clothes, and I remember growing up, like, my grandma and my mom would not let me wear pants to church. And I was like, I really want to wear pants to church because this thing under my dress is itchy, and I don't like it, right? I had to wear stockings and, like, the little socks with the little, little frilly things on them, and I hated it so much. But I was so happy when I finally wore pants. I will never forget that day. Because I said, thank you, God, for freedom. Because I really want, I was like, you know, I wish I was a boy because they can wear pants and they're fine. And I'm struggling over here. Anyway. But I will say that even though, like, those are the types of things when it came to, like, dress that I grew up with and the very um, interesting moments that my mom actually taught me about my body and how I should dress, as a young Christian girl, um, even though I wanted more from her when it came to what, how I was understanding my own body and understanding a woman's body in general, I will say my mother undeniably was a role model and she did the things and acted like a woman of God, right? So as I'm coming more into myself, she is somebody that I look to. Um, everything that I want to embody as a woman of God as I grow up is her um, and she taught me to see myself as a woman creating God's image and I think we have better conversations now about um, how she sees God in me um, and where he wants to take me and that in itself encompassing God seeing me as perfect and God seeing me as um, beautiful um, I will also add, and I'm going to read from here so I don't ramble, um, but I will say that as a student, so I'm a PhD student at Rutgers in sociology. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm stressed. Um, but um, <laughs> so as a student in sociology, um, God has also shown me how 
important it is to learn how society has been built to function, right? And how we continue to maintain itself, and that also includes having discussions about gender. Um, and how gender is, you know, embedded in our legal system, in our culture, so much so to the point where, you know, it begin, it has limited women's ability to fully see themselves as part of God's beauty, right? And these are things that have sort of creeped into the church as well. Um, and it's these social constructions that can't be dismissed because um, as it's become embedded in Christian co culture, like i.e., you know, my own father as a pastor and being around other ministers, other male ministers who saw my body in particular ways. Um, it's important for me to revisit um, and have these conversations, not only with the Christian women in my life, but also looking at the women in the Bible, right? Um, thinking about biblical figures like Esther and Mary and Deborah. Um, shout out to Miss Deborah. Um, <laughs> but also thinking about Deborah the judge, right? Um, sorry, I thought that was funny. Anyway, um, but also knowing that as I continue to see how God loves me unconditionally as I am made in his image, also knowing that as gender has influenced my own father and how he sees me or how he has seen me, I still do know that my father has loved me unconditionally and tried to raise me the best way he could. Um, and being able to see that balance now and see how God still emanates through my parents and how I see myself is, I think, really important is something that I've come into. It's been a while, but I'm coming into it more now. So for me, I grew up uh, with a lack of a father figure. Um, I've had numerous uh, male figures in my life who have either hurt me physically or emotionally. Um, so for me, when I first met God, it was a moment um, in which I had emotionally um, lost my stepfather to a construction accident. Um, and so I was, I had this growing desire for um, like a male figure that could take care of me and just love me. Um, because be, growing up being an older sibling, there were too many responsibilities and you know, my mom was working all the time and I didn't see her. Um, and so I felt like um, there was this yearning for what, you know, what I had learned like a father was, someone that could take care of you, someone that, um, would you know be able to talk to you, mentor you, and so when I came to know God, I felt that He had those qualities that I was kind of looking for, and so that's how I kind of came um, to know God and search for what He had to um, offer. Um, but um, I think um, so. Very early, I I was um, I, I got baptized. I decided to get baptized at the age of 14, um, and m maybe only a couple of months after that, I was. Um, raided by my uncle, who at that time was a ministry leader at the church that I was at. And so for me, um, I felt really hurt um, that God had watched this happen to me and didn't do anything to stop it. Um, and so for me, seeing him now as a father, um, or seeing him then as a father, I felt that he, um, he had abandoned me and that he had betrayed me and that if he really was my father, he would have protected me and he didn't. Um, and so I actually lost my faith after that happened. Um, I think it was only, um, 
I think, though, that I only got to know God more, and I'm only closer to God now through that healing process after that, through the recovery process of me learning to um, get over that traumatic experience or really just heal from that traumatic experience, but also um, when it came to facing my fear of men um, in my life and the men around me, um, I think it was through those conversations where I kind of turned to God and said, well, God, um, if you want me to get closer to the people around me and to get closer to everybody, um, how, do I, how do I look at men and not constantly think danger, right? Danger or um, possibility of hurt, betrayal, and all these negative things. Um, and so I think it's been through that process of me getting to know God um, through that healing that I've actually um, gained more of an understanding of who God is, and God has become more of a father because of that. So I think growing up as a woman, there's a lot of conflicting messages. So I struggled for a long time to see God as being for a woman and to view my body as good. Um, I was recently reminded that I went through a phase in college um, where I didn't really like the Apostle Paul, who is a pretty major author um, of many letters in the scriptures of Jesus. So this is kind of problematic. Um, and this was primarily due to how many spaces interpret his teachings and the resulting policing and treatment of women's bodies. Um, so for me, there was also a sense of having lost the lottery and being born a woman. And who I was didn't matter as much as my embodiment in female form. Um, so it wasn't until I met um, other Jesus followers who invested in me as a person that I was free to understand and explore more of who God is in a deeper way. Um, this then allowed me to know God as the author of the universe, who has gifted me with unique passions and interests and wants to use me to serve others in the world around me. Yeah, for me, um, I encountered God when I was about 10 years old. I felt like that saved me, honestly. Um, it grounded me. Um, and I always felt that um, any of the negative sexual experiences that I had were not, not the will of God, like he was against them too. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from my own father. Like my father has always loved me unconditionally. And um, has been a protective force for me. I have a good relationship with my dad. And specifically, I think it's interesting as I've reflected on my experiences and some of the things that he would say and some of the patriarchal uh, like hierarchy in the family, but then practically some of the things that my dad would let me do, I think made me feel very empowered that women can do just what men do, um, that I have these gifts and I should use them. For example, when I was 17, I wanted to get my motorcycle permit and my dad let me get my motorcycle permit and license and let me buy a motorcycle. He went with me to buy it and taught me how to ride it. Um, he let, you know, there are different things that my parents encouraged me to do, being a thrower for the track and field team. I was the captain of the throwing team in high school and that was like very odd because I was also a part of Chris Town's Outstanding Young Woman pageant. So like the, there are a lot of juxtapositions of gender roles for me um, and I think all of those things as experiences related to myself as a woman and my body helped me to see that um, God similarly uh, made, made no differentiation. 
Um, the next question is, what have been some of your biggest challenges when it comes to your identity as a woman in your current season of life? Uh, so for me, my biggest challenge now is the idea of fertility. Um, and the reason I say fertility is because um, at the age of 12, I had to have an ovary, uh, emergency ovarian cyst surgery. Um, and that has messed up my reproductive system in a lot of ways. Um, and I remember when that was happening, like my mom's first question to the nurse was like, is she going to be able to have kids? Um, and I remember being really mad at her at that moment because obviously I'm like, in pain and I could possibly die and that's like the first question you have to ask, but that's okay, you know? Um, so <laughs> I remember like, you know, not understanding her then, but I think um, as of, uh, when I got around the age of like 17, starting to turn 18 and all these other things, I started to feel genuine fear and guilt um, for not, um, and for knowing that like my body wasn't going to be able to function the same way that a normal body should. Um, and feeling like I had already, that I was already destined to miss out on this whole idea of like motherhood. And that was such, to me at least, in the way I was raised, it seemed that motherhood was the big you know, thing. That when I got older, that was gonna be the big thing that defined like my legacy. Like you know, having people that could like then carry that on. Um, but um, I think um, currently, um, I've been, that's kind of been my tug of war with God, um, trying to figure out, um, and him just speaking to me and me realizing that that's not all that there is into, um, in my life, and that's not, that's not, is, that is not going to be what's going to define um, how much I am of value to God. Um, God has so many other different plans for me, um, and that should, and that shouldn't, or at least the idea of being a mother or this idea of infertility, that shouldn't make me ashamed of what my, bo of what my body is or what my body has to bring. Um, God has so many other different things that he wants me to do, um, and he, like, he doesn't want me to worry about that right now. That's not my biggest concern. Um, and, um, and God is, even, if, even when that becomes a major concern in my life, God is going to be there to guide me through that process. And no matter the outcome, I have to trust that God has made that outcome to be for a reason and that there is a reason for me to go through that. In this current season, what's visible is that I'm a mother of two young children. Um, what isn't visible is that we've had three pregnancies. The first one ended at eight weeks gestation. Um, pregnancy loss is very scarring. Not only is there grief, but the physical process of miscarrying was extremely traumatic for me. Um, aside from the terrible pain and cramping, I also experienced involuntary chills and shaking, and additionally had to deal with very invasive medical procedures. This made me very afraid of um, losing another pregnancy and of childbirth. So the first trimester of both my subsequent pregnancies were full of consuming fear of losing the pregnancy and also guilt in engaging in activities that may potentially harm the pregnancy. Um, yeah. And now as a breastfeeding mother, the last six years have been spent in either growing a child on the inside or on the outside. So um, I've been in the cycle of alternately 
really being really fearful of my body, but also kind of being in awe of what the body can do. Um, and along with that is also just adjusting to a new body. So anyone who's had biological kids out there knows what it does to your <laughs> body. It's never the same again. Um, so the biggest challenge for me is feeling like I can't or I'm still learning to um, talk openly about my body um, in many spaces, even though um, most defining moments of the last eight to nine years have been centered in the workings of my body, and obviously that has a large impact on who I am and how I relate to God. Um, so when I went to Spelman, I not only had like this really big revelation that I could also be beautiful, um, Spelman also had a huge culture of um, dressing to impress, right? So I did not walk out my room without learning to beat my face, um, have the right clothes, the right outfit. Um, you know, everyone was into wellness at, around that time because they had just built like this really big fancy new gym. Um, so I was like, ooh, yes, right? And now, um, and, but that was like also the key to how I became attractive, right? So I said, that's, that's fine. Um, so even though I know beauty is not just looks and beauty does not equal love, you know, I still find myself in these habits of, you know, making sure I go to the gym, that's so I don't gain weight because apparently in my genes, like it's not gonna be cute later. Um, <laughs> as my mother reminded me when I went back home, right? She's like, oh, you, you can gain some weight. I said, thank you, but I don't know. All right. Um, but I think on top of that, I'm also, I mean, I've, some of my self-care, I'm really obsessed with like skincare. If, any, if anyone knows who like Jackie Ina is, I love her. I love everything on her YouTube, Instagram, stuff like that. Um, but I'm obsessed with like skincare, having clear skin and to, hide the fact that I'm really stressed and that I have hormonal acne, right? And that I have really sensitive skin and that I break out when I'm stressed, right, with school. But again, like even though I know that's not where my beauty and my wholeness comes from, it doesn't stop my constant focus on presenting what I consider to be like my best self at all times. Um, and it's still often based on like my icons and my friends and um, what I see on Instagram. Um, so, but one of my favorite scriptures is Psalms um, 51, 10 through 12, and I believe it's on the little quarter sheet that y'all have. Um, but it's basically um, David asking God constantly for a clear heart, right? Um, and a renewal of a right spirit. And currently in this season, I'm praying and asking God that this year, he continues to provide me with a heart for him where, um, where my heart for him shines, you know, clearer than my obsession with my clear skin, right? Um, ha ha. Um, but uh, I'm also in the City to City Apprenticeship Program and uh, they're up in New York City. And this last session we talked about, we talked about God's definition of perfection, right? And I thought it was really eye-opening because um, the speaker talked about how perfection is always seen as a goal, right? It's something that we're trying to maintain. It's something that we're going to get to. We're going to stay there and everything's, you know, Gucci, right? However, what he said is that even um, in Psalms, and if you read Psalms, David is constantly asking God, create in me a clean heart, make me right, Jesus, like 
let me trust you fully. And he's asking these things over and over and over again. But what the speaker was saying is that God sees perfection even in the midst of our progress, right? So even if I don't think I'm perfect now, God still thinks I'm perfect. Even though I haven't gotten like the degree that I want right now, God still thinks I'm perfect. Even though I'm not maybe at my ideal weight, God will continue to see me as perfect, right? There is no set goal that I'm getting to where God's going to be like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Now she's perfect, right? But God constantly sees me as perfect and beautiful because I am a reflection of him, right? So. Yeah, I won't belabor Ruth's point. Similarly to Ruth, I'm the mom of two little people in this season, and I think that has been the most challenging part of um, grappling with my identity and my body. Um, it's, I feel the most uncomfortable, honestly, nursing publicly in a church setting. It's not you guys necessarily, but um, I find that like a church setting is mostly where people have very strong beliefs about what parts of the body are appropriate and not appropriate. And so I'm constantly looking at my closet, which is packed full of clothes and being like, will that outfit let me sneak a nipple out without anyone noticing? Like, and so I find, I feel like I have nothing to wear because I'm trying to be respectful of the people. Um, but that, that makes it very hard. I think that can be very isolating too. Um, one side of my family is very uncomfortable with nursing all the men. And so when we travel to visit with them, I'm like, great, I'm spending most of my time in a room by myself with the baby who everyone wants to see. That's why we're here. Um, but, but I'm sitting in this room alone because nobody wants to see my nipple out and I'm not willing to like try to fight underneath a pillowcase to see if nursing can happen, you know, and I can't get, I won't get bit while it happens. Um, so yeah, nursing is a huge part of it. Postpartum body recovery. I was freaking out after Salem, like I need to get my body back as quickly as possible. Not really realizing that it does never, is never quite the same again, but it does, the body is amazing. It does like heal in positive ways. So as a mom, um, that's encouraging, but also I think with Levi, I've been allowing myself a lot more time, just saying like, it's okay, it will heal. Having realistic expectations in this season is hard. And I never heard women talk about that growing up. Um, like the legit like pain of birth or the experience of carrying a baby and postpartum issues, um, all, all kinds of different things there. So that's me on that. Um, being respectful of time, we're going to try to bring it to a close pretty soon. Um, we've all experienced the brokenness of the fall. How do you see a community of Jesus followers bringing redemptive hope to you as a woman? I think, for me, I think most people ultimately uh, want to be known and to me, that looks like being able to have authentic relationships with people who are truly committed um, to you and truly committed to listening um, to my experiences, in this case, as a woman, as part of who I am, without judgment, without assumptions. My body has gone through so much, beautiful, traumatic, grueling, and it can be very lonely to feel like nobody either knows that or um, knows what it's like. Um, if our bodies are sacred, then let's welcome healthy conversation around them and their impact on our spiritual walk. The body can be a vessel of pain and suffering, and this impacts our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Um, I'm reminded of Jesus, and this story is on your sheets, um, in his encounter with the woman who had bled for 12 years. 
When he healed her, she had to identify herself and the reason that she touched him. And in doing so, she had to share publicly very personal and shameful information about her body. Jesus blessed her with peace and released her from her suffering. So I think that a community of Jesus followers is ideally positioned to be like Jesus in welcoming people in a holistic way, helping overcome shame, restoring peace, and diminishing suffering. For me, um, I would say listen to the women around you. I say this in the most respectful way. If God has called for women to speak about their experiences, it's meant to be listened in the same way you would listen to a testimony. Listen, absorb, process, and empathize. This is a process that takes time. It starts with conversation, but there is healing to be done. For women, there is a community to be built where we can talk about the physical body without the censorship to pain, blemishes, pregnancy, infertility, etc. There are human experiences. Also, please remember that every woman's experience is their own. And they all have their own healing processes. Don't assume that one woman's experience fits all. And through this journey of learning, always look to God for answers, guidance, or encouragement. It's not an easy conversation to have for both parties. Um, so for me, I find that the community of Christ at this moment, and I think we're starting off really well because I could never imagine growing up and going to church and having a conversation, a whole series about sex. That was not a thing, right? But I find that, you know, as a community of Christ, we're coming to a point where we have to talk about what's going on in the world, right? And how we can um, begin to rethink how oftentimes the world has become, um, has kind of flown into our own lives and into our church communities. Um, there's a way that we can understand the world post-fall and the ways that Jesus still opens up doors um, for us to move beyond the world. Um, but Jesus first asks that we consider how we may be implicated in this as a church and as a uh, community in Christ. Um, so this means having open honest conversations about reproductive health, about sexuality, um, about sexual health, about gender, about the toxins of masculinity, about whiteness, um, about patriarchy, and so much more, right? Um, and these conversations are not to divide us, right? Um, rather, these conversations um, come to a holistic view of where we are as a community and how we have fallen, how we continue to fall. Um, and where Christ is calling us to lead others into a, lead ourselves and others into a radical new vision of what his community should look like and how we can have conversations to uplift each other in him. Awesome. I'm not gonna answer this one just yet. Um, can I get a big round of applause for our panel? Thank you, ladies. You can go. All right, we're running a little late, but that's okay. We're not, I'm not UConn, so we're slow, sorry. Give us extra five minutes this morning. Um, we've started unraveling this thread. We gotta roll it back up a little bit. Um, I'm gonna invite you guys to think about what you heard today and how it impacted your thinking on a personal level instead of to your neighbors. Um, and I'm gonna ask you to do that at the end. A couple more thoughts before we close. You just heard a lot. 
I'm sure that there are a lot of things that you are thinking. Um, the last question I think that we have to ask about this topic is, how does Jesus's life and redemptive resurre resurrective death have power to impact us all? Um, and I think that it has everything to do with how we value ourselves. And by extension, how we value other humans. Um, I hope that you've gotten from this morning that in this community, um, we believe that God values people, um, everyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of whether you believe in him or not, um, regardless of what your life circumstances have been. We believe that God values people here. Um, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes while I read this one scripture, because I think that helps focus uh, at least me in. It's from Ephesians 2, a couple verses, 4 to 10. Kids, come on in. No worries. Um, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Feel free to open your eyes whenever you want. <clears throat> I believe that this, it's easy to focus on the last portion of this passage, the good works that we're meant to do. Um, but I want us to focus on the beginning, on God's great love for us. Um, we're valuable because of who we are. We're made by God. We're cre his creation made in his image. Um, we're valuable because of what we cost. Jesus' life for our spiritually eternal lives. And we're valuable because of what we're entrusted with. We're entrusted with God's love, um, the knowledge of Jesus, and he invites us to invite him in, um, that he might dwell in us and be an indwelling spirit. Um, and that's huge. So as we're wrapping up, um, I'm inviting you to think about this, that we're, we're valued as beloved sons and daughters of God, the king. Um, he's likened to a king. His creations were seated with him again because of Jesus. Um, when, Adam, when Adam and Eve chose to step away from God in the beginning of the human story, they made a choice that burdened them with a curse, one of spiritual death and perpetually broken relationships. When Jesus came, he came to remove the curse by bearing the consequences of death himself. It's through his power that we find healing for our relationships to each other, beginning with our healing and our relationship to God. And this morning, as we reflect on women's bodies, on our value and on our relationships with God, I want to invite each of us to think, um, to think about and ask God how he wants to bring us healing in our unique and individual journeys. <clears throat>